Good morning, everyone. Welcome to you. Again, my name is Tim Harris. I am pastor here at Woodburn Baptist Churches, which is where you are on Father's Day. So all of you dads in the room, God bless you. Uh, welcome to you as well. In the cafe, Matt Betts, uh, all of the youth group of Frank Wright. What's the name of your church, Frank? Where'd Frank go? He had to go take care of his kids and get them in the cafe. What's the name of the church? Panama City Beach Baptist Church. Can we uh, welcome Panama City Baptist Church in the cafe this morning? Make some noise. God bless you guys. Welcome to Woodburn, Kentucky. Uh, Percy, when you live in Woodburn, Kentucky, you really dream of going to Panama City Beach. So it's kind of funny to think that you all made the trip here, but welcome and, and worship together with us. Open your Bibles to the book of Jonah. Please open your Bibles to the book of Jonah. There is absolutely no power in my preaching and I know that. It may have taken me nearly 18 years to know that, but, but I know that. There is no power in my preaching. It doesn't matter how hard I work. It doesn't matter how much I put into it. There is no power in my word. There's power in God's word. And that may be one of the really important lessons from the book of Jonah. We are in the middle of a message series entitled Short-Winded Sermons from the Minor Prophets. And Jonah is one of those minor prophets. But if you read the book of Jonah, with any kind of seriousness, you will soon realize that Jonah is the worst prophet ever. He is the worst prophet ever. He is also somehow, surprisingly, the most successful worst prophet ever. He's incredibly successful. We're only going to read through the first two chapters in the short. We're going to read the first two chapters. I just want you to pay attention to how every time Jonah speaks of God, you have to drag it out of him. Uh, again, he has no passion. He has no great desire. He is the worst prophet ever. However, he does manage when he speaks to speak the word of God and people respond. Everywhere Jonah goes, everywhere Jonah opens his mouth, people follow God. That is everybody except Jonah. Did I mention he's the worst prophet ever? But the power is not in Jonah. The power is in the word of God. You understand? So the great miracle in the book of Jonah is the miracle of the word of God who comes to a man who really wants nothing to do with it. And that brings us to Jonah's story. Will you open your Bibles? It's hard to find. I tried to talk long enough for you to get there. Book of Jonah chapter 1. Let's just read. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. But the Lord hurled a great wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. So the captain went down after him. Okay, let's stop right here. I want you to follow something. You notice every time Jonah's mentioned, every time he's mentioned, which direction is he going? 
down. Keep following that word, down, down, down. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this? He shouted, get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused the terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Why has this awful storm come down on us, they demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? Jonah answered, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. Okay, how's that for a sermon? Would you rate that of what? Sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. Why did you do it, they groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to stop this storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Instead, the sailors rowed even harder to get the ship to the land. But the stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. So then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. Okay, that's interesting because they're praying now to Jonah's God. That's something Jonah hasn't done in a long time. You, you see that? Oh, Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin and don't hold us responsible for his death. Oh, Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. And, and the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea and the storm stopped at once. Sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Do you see that? Everybody on the boat just got saved. Now, the Lord had arranged, the word there's commissioned, isn't that interesting? The Lord had commissioned a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. He said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. Then I said, O oh Lord, you have driven me from your presence, and I will look once more toward your holy temple. I sank beneath the waves and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I, I love that. That's just so weird and gross. I, I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth whose gates locked shut forever. But you, O Lord, my God, snatched me from the jaws of death. As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord. And my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all God's mercies, but I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise, and I will fulfill all my vows, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. Well, one way or the other, he ended up on the beach. So that's good news for me. Worst prophet ever. He's the worst prophet ever. He's really not a good example of, of anything whatsoever. And yet when you read his story, if you can really begin to see the story, you may realize that he looks a lot like you and me. 
Now, the problem with the book of Jonah is, of course, also the great miracle of the book of Jonah, and that is the fish. But we get really preoccupied with the fish. This is really not a story about a fish or, or a whale or whatever you want, want to call him. It, it's not about that. That miracle happens in the story, and it is something of a miracle. When I was a kid, my preacher spent about 20 minutes of a sermon one day, one day trying to tell us that this happens, that there really are whales that can swallow men, and, 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 and there was a, a, a whale fisherman who fell overboard, and they thought he was gone, and then they caught a whale, and when they cut it open on the beach, a man crawled out. You know, okay, gross. I, I, I get that, but, but I don't need that. You know, one way or the other, it's God who created the ocean and the fish, and if God commissioned, created, ordered a fish to swallow Jonah, I don't have any trouble with that. I mean, God works miracles, and, and it's also sort of not the point of the story. The, the point of the story is God's Word and how it actually comes to a man who really wants nothing to do with it. He's truly, truly the worst prophet ever. His, his name is Jonah, but let's stop for a minute and talk about what makes him what I, I, I would call the worst prophet ever. First off, he actually wants nothing to do with God. He wants nothing to do with God. I don't exactly know why in the world God continues to use people like Jonah, because Jonah doesn't want anything to do with him. When this story begins, for, for the longest part of the story here, Jonah doesn't pray. He's obviously a believer, some kind of believer, but he does not worship. He does not obey. He wants nothing to do with God. Now, how do you even explain that? It sounds like a puzzle until you really begin to think about your life and my life. A pastor named Craig Rochelle wrote a book called The Practical Atheist, and in that book he talks about people like so many of us who, who honestly say with our mouths that, that we believe in God, but then in our lives we live as if there is no God at all. Do you understand? We, we say we believe, but our lives sort of tell a, a different kind of story. And even though you're in church today, or even though you're in the cafe, or you're listening to a sermon as you drive down the road, or watching it at, at your desk, that, that doesn't mean anything. The fact that you say that you believe is just one part of it. Jesus said even the demons believe and they tremble. You understand? They believe and they tremble. The point is there should be some sort of, of response if you truly believe in God. There should be something that flows out of that belief. It's not just believing with your head, it's believing with your life. And so understand, belief without response is really no different from unbelief. And the fact that you say that you believe doesn't really separate you from all of the people out there who say they don't believe if you end up living just like they live. If you actually uh, want nothing more to do with God than just what you get in this little bit of a Sunday morning, if that's honestly the, the, the depths of your desire for Him, then practically you're really just pretty much like an atheist. Do you understand that? It's one thing to say that you believe, but, but you have to want God, and you have to surrender yourself to Him. Jonah's the worst prophet ever because for the first part, he wants nothing to do with God. And to be a prophet, you're supposed to be one of those people that speaks for God, one of those people that hears God's Word and then speaks God's Word. But Jonah wants nothing to do with God's Word. Probably the largest miracle of the book of Jonah is not that a fish swallows a man. The biggest miracle is that God continues to speak to a man who wants nothing to do with his word. 
Jonah wants nothing to do with God's word. The very beginning of the book said the word of the Lord came to Jonah, and what does Jonah do? He runs. He wants absolutely nothing to do with God's word. Again, this book preaches hard to some of us because some of us, that describes us right there, want nothing to do with God's Word. When I say turn in your Bibles to the book of Jonah, some of you look at me like I'm speaking a foreign language. You, you wouldn't spit on a Bible if it was on fire. You don't pick it up, you, you, you don't read it, you don't even read it in church. And my hunch is if you don't read it in church, you're not reading it anywhere else either. And it doesn't work if you don't read it. You following me? You have to read it. You have to somehow begin to find that, that this book is not just telling the story of people that lived thousands of years ago. This book is telling the story of your life today. And, and the fact is the story of some of your lives today is a story of wanting nothing to do with God and actually nothing to do with God's Word. If the only God's word that you ever receive is when a preacher's reading it to you in church, there's something profoundly wrong with whatever you call your Christian life. But this is Jonah, worst prophet ever, wants nothing to do with God. He wants nothing to do with God's word, and he wants nothing to do with people. Now, if you belong to God, the God who is love, his love will flow through you. Now, I know that there are in the world introverts and extroverts and all of that. I, I get that. But if you have the love of God in your heart, it's going to flow out towards people. But not Jonah. Do you understand? He wants nothing to do with people. When the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, it's a horrible word. It's a word of destruction for the great city of Nineveh. And it is a great city. There are people there, men, women, boys, and girls. And that city's about to be destroyed. But Jonah could care less. If you read the whole book, you catch on pretty quickly that it's not just he doesn't care about people. He specifically doesn't like the people from Nineveh. You understand? He is an anti-Ninevite or whatever you would call that. He does not like the people of Nineveh. And so for him, the word that they're going to be destroyed, that doesn't bother him at all. He has no sort of broken heart over the things that break God's heart. You understand? And God loves people. God loves people. And if you don't have any kind of compassion for people, no heart for people, then I would really want to question your heart for God. But when you love God and love God's word, you're going to love people. Did your heart just break this week over the news in Charleston? How could anybody walk into a church on a Wednesday night into the prayer meeting from the news reports that that guy actually sat through the meeting. I don't know how you can listen to people's praying voices. You know what I mean? There's, there's your voice and then there's your praying voice. And when you hear someone's praying voice, how can you not just love them? He heard their praying voices and then he stood with his gun and they begged him not to do it. They conversed with him. They told him he didn't have to do it, but he said, no, I have to do this. What kind of hatred in a man's heart would cause him to listen to their praying voices and then silence them forever? Who does that? What kind of hatred in the heart 
You say, Brother Tim, I don't know why you're bringing that up. Now, I wouldn't do anything like that. I'm not saying that you would. But where is your heart for people? Where is your broken heart for people? What is it about you that that makes you believe that that some people are better than other kinds of people? What is it about you that makes you think that skin color makes any kind of difference? You want to know a person? You don't look at the color of their skin. You listen to their praying voice, and then you'll know everything there is to know about that man, that woman. Worst prophet ever. He wants nothing to do with God. He wants nothing to do with God's word. And he wants nothing to do with people. So verse 3, Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket, went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord. Hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. But the Lord hurled a great wind. Notice the way the book of Jonah flows there. There's this incredible piling up of words. Everything describing God is the word great. Now, sometimes New Living Translation will say powerful. uh, But all of these words in the Hebrew are the same word. It's just great. God continues to do great things. Do you see that? But Jonah continues only to move in one direction, and it is down. It's crazy. He actually thinks he's going to run from God. I mean, that in itself is, is comical. The great miracle of this book is not necessarily that a fish swallowed a man. It's that anybody could be so stupid as to think he's going to buy a boat ticket to anywhere where God won't be. Understand, that is a miracle of stupidity. To actually think that he can run away from God to a place called Tarshish. Now, honestly, if you look at sort of the ancient world, uh, Nineveh is a place he doesn't really want to be, but Tarshish is a place where you might want to be. You know, it's kind of beautiful there. There's a seaport there. There's the ocean. There's a beach there. And y'all know me. I am all about the beach. I'll be on one in two weeks, two weeks. I, I, I will be there. Tarsus is, is that place, and, and it's funny, in your life, when God speaks to you, you often hope that he'll call you to Tarsus. You know, I'm all about church planting, and I don't really understand why God won't call me to Florida to plant a church. I, I mean, I, I would sign up for that. I would so be there. I would let Casey spray sunscreen on me day and night. It, it would be fine. I would be fine. I would plant churches. I, I would preach. You know, in your mind, you see yourself doing something great for God, you know, on the beach at, at Tarsus. But somehow God always calls you to Nineveh or Woodburn <laughs> or Franklin Logan County, Portland, Plano. I mean, you understand what I'm saying? Somehow when God calls you, it almost feels like, you know, is this a wrong number? Is this a wrong number? Why are you asking me to do this? I mean, Jonah hates the people at Nineveh. He hates them. He does not love them. I guess he's a pretty good preacher. He has good results when he preaches. It seems like God could send him anywhere else in the world, and Jonah might have gone. He, He might have obeyed. Maybe he'd have a better chance of at least caring about the congregation. But God calls him to the single one place where Jonah would rather die than go. Do you see that? He'd rather die. He gets on the boat to Tarsus, he goes down and down, he goes down to the dock, and then he goes down into the boat, and then he gets thrown into the ocean, goes down into the depths. You understand, everywhere Jonah goes is down, and it's a pretty good principle for you. When your life is moving away from God, the only way you can go is down. When you're running away from God, there is this downward spiral, and nothing's going to stop it. Nothing stops it. 
The Old Testament talks about the curse that comes when you disobey God, the curse that comes with running from him. And it's interesting how the prophets speak about it. They say it's sort of like living a life where you take all your money and put it in a pocket with holes in it. You ever had a hole in your pocket? You put your money in and all of a sudden it's gone. It's like whatever you have, it just runs through your fingers. You never have enough. You never have enough time. You never have enough entertainment. You never have enough money. You never get enough attention. You never get enough affection from your kids. You understand it goes on and on and on. It's a life of scarcity, a life of never having enough. And, and the Bible says that this is exactly what your life is like when you're running from God. There is just this incredible sense that you'll never have have enough you'll never be full so Jonah experiences this downward spiral and absolutely nothing absolutely nothing is going to reverse it he goes down 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 but now along the way he still believes do you see that I mean, the men on the boat, the, the, the boat's about to crash. You, you know, it's, it's like one of those, the, the, the ship was, uh, the, the, the tiny ship was tossed, if not for the courage of the perilous crew, that, that, that sort of thing, you know. And so the sailors, they stop him and say, who are you? What is your line of work? I mean, they basically have to beg him to preach to him. Who are you? What is your job? What is your line of work? And he has to say, Jonah, I'm, I'm a preacher. He tells him about this much about his God, just about this much, but, but, but somehow telling these men this much about the true God is enough to make them true believers. They no longer, they forsake praying to their false gods, and now they become true believers in the real God. I mean, Jonah in, in his preaching is able to have those kinds of results, still worst prophet ever. How does that even work? How can you be that far from God? How can you be that rebellious, that hard-hearted, and still speak the name of God and just watch people turn and believe? How, how does that work? How can Jonah even have the audacity to, to speak for God, even say God's name at this point? How is he still saying, I'm, I'm a prophet, when he's 2,000 miles from where God wants him to be? How do you do that? I don't know how you do it, but I know that kind of audacity is actually pretty common. I used to know a guy who was a horrible alcoholic, but when his drunk friends would talk to me, they would say, you know, that boy one day, he's going to be some kind of preacher. Apparently, he talked about Jesus all the time. How do you do that? How do you do that? How do you live like hell and at the very same time continue to, to speak like some kind of believer? How do you do that? There was a woman named Nita Friedman who lived in Idaho, Harpers Ferry, Idaho, I believe. Uh, just really funny, I think it's funny, news story. She's a 66-year-old woman who one day was sort of going crazy down the road, like some women will do, some men too, reckless driving. And so the police started following her and watching her. There was a police officer named Mike Hutter who, who got behind her and noticed her reckless driving. So he decided to pull her over. But Nita Freeman decided to outrun him. Again, 66-year-old woman in, a, you know, in an old lady car. She decides to lead the police on a sort of a low-speed car chase. And that's what they do. Nita Freeman's an old lady. She doesn't drive fast, but she wasn't going to stop. 
So she just starts driving off. It's funny, she led them on a car chase, low-speed car chase through two counties. Slowest car chase ever. They say that in all of that time, she never broke any laws. She's running from the police, but she never exceeded the speed limit. She stopped at every stop sign. (laughs) She never missed giving a turn signal, but she would not stop. She just continued to, you know, drive, drive away. They had to throw out, what do you call it, one of those spike strips? They had to roll out one of those spike strips in front of her on, on one, of the, the, one of the interstates out there. She's still going speed limit. They rolled out a spike strip. They flattened three of her tires. She kept going. <laughs> finally, finally pulled her over. It, 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 it's amazing. The funny part is that whole time she's running from the law, she never breaks the law. She's still somehow very fastidious about, about obeying the law, very, very dedicated to, to keeping the rules. At the same time, she's running. She's breaking all of them, even in her obedience. And I think in that sense, Nita Friedman begins to sort of show us what our lives are like. Those of us who keep all of the good rules, you're in church every single Sunday. You probably go to small group, a, a Sunday school or Bible study group. You, you probably tithe, you put money in the offering plate. And you do all of these things that, that from every outward appearance would seem that you have this very, very deep relationship with God. But the truth of the matter is that deep relationship with God is just not there. Some of you have been running from God for years, for for years. Now, again, you're like Nita Freeman. You don't break any of the rules. In your running, you continue to show up to church every time the door is open, but your heart is still far, far from him. You, you, You will not stop running. I think the strange thing is church becomes a pretty good place to hide out if you're trying to hide from God. It's like hiding in plain sight. If you've ever tried to hide anything, sometimes the very best place to put it is right out in the open because nobody ever looks there. And so maybe you feel like if you just go to church, if you get in the middle of Christian people, then therefore you'll blend in and maybe God will just never, ever notice you. You'll never show up on his radar if you just don't ever do anything wrong. And the problem is you can never do anything wrong in life and still never do anything right. See, it doesn't matter how many sermons Jonah preaches on this boat on the way to Tarsus. The point is, he's not supposed to be on a boat on the way to Tarsus. You understand? He's still running from God. He's still not doing what God has called him to do. And you may not be either. Are you with me? You may not be where God wants you to to be either. The fact that you're in church does not mean that your heart is right with him. The, The fact that you don't necessarily do anything wrong doesn't mean you're doing anything right for him. What has God called you to do? Where has he asked you to go? What is the claim that he has upon your life? It's kind of the question that the sailors ask Jonah. They're terrified when they hear this. So they ask him, why did you do this? And since the storm is getting worse all the time, they ask him, what should we do? They're asking Jonah for wisdom. What should we do? And what does he say? Throw me overboard. Just throw me, just throw me overboard. Yeah. We well, think he's a really good swimmer. He's going 2,000 miles back to shore. No, he's just ready to die. He would really rather die. He would really rather die than just surrender to God. So they throw him overboard. And he sinks 
down until what fish fish a great fish the bible says we don't know what kind of fish but a great fish swallowed him whole and held him three days i don't know exactly what this means jonah was inside the belly of the fish for three days and three nights then jonah prayed you get that three days and three nights then jonah prayed This is the most stubborn man I've ever seen in my life. I think I would have prayed the minute I was airborne going over the the, the side of the boat. I'd been praying then. I'd have been praying about the time I felt my breath giving out. I would have already been praying. Jonah, it takes him three days and three nights before he opens his heart and mouth to pray. But now when he prays, it's actually... It's pretty good prayer. I mean, it takes this to get him out of him, but but eventually it comes out of him, and it's actually a good prayer. Why does it take this much? I don't understand. Why does it take this long for him to pray? Why does he have to be in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights before he prays? And why does he even pray then? I mean, why pray then? I've asked that question a lot. I know it's desperation. I know that. But he's been desperate already. I think bottom line is when you're in the belly of a fist for three days and three nights, you would pray because there's nothing else to do. Nothing else to do but pray. Nowhere else to look but up. Finally, Jonah's going to look up. So why don't you pray? I mean, why don't you? I know you mean to, I know you wish you could, I know you're always meaning to start something with prayer, but honestly, why don't you pray? I'm sorry if I'm offending you, if if, if you don't appreciate the insinuation that you don't, perhaps you do, but but let me speak to those of you who just really don't. You, You don't. You don't bend your knee. You don't ever get down on your knees and pray. Well, Pastor Tim, I, I like to pray when I'm driving down the road in the car. Well, okay. I like to drive down the road and I just pretend like God's my best friend. He's sitting right there and I just talk to God while I drive. Well, is that your whole prayer life? I mean, I'm not saying you can't pray and drive, but is that your whole prayer life? And all of this talking to God, you never reach a single moment ever where you just want to pull over and, and, and really bow in the awesomeness and holiness of his presence. I mean, seriously, you've never been so overwhelmed or even so drawn into conversation with God that you felt like you might want to park. But because if this is your whole prayer life, always on the fly, just sort of pray as you go, maybe pray before meals, maybe not if it looks like people are looking. I mean, I mean, seriously, is your whole prayer life just sort of, you know, shooting one up as you go, Lord, help me right before, you know, you, 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 you jump off the cliff. I mean, is really this it? Because I, I'm not sure that that's a real life of prayer. Just saying. I'm not sure that's a, that's a life of prayer. Only calling out when you're frightened or only crying out when you need God. And I'm not saying don't cry out when you need God. I'm just saying all of those big, big gaps of time in between your emergencies when you don't talk to God at all, that's a problem. Why don't you pray? Why don't you talk to God more? If Jonah prays in the belly of the whale because there's nothing else to do, I guess I would suggest that the reason you don't pray is you've just got too much to do. You got too much going on. And if you're too busy to pray, you're too busy. 
you probably need to start looking at your life and figuring out how you can begin to make the first thing the first thing. And God should be first thing. And if you're not talking to him, he's not first thing. Understand? If you're not having this ongoing conversation with the shepherd of your heart, then he is not the shepherd of your heart. I don't know how to say it any plainer. If you know him, if you love him, you will talk to him, and not just when you're drowning. Now, when you drown, call on him. If Jonah teaches you nothing else, he should teach you that. It's never too late. He may be the worst prophet ever. He may have been running from God now for years, but the point remains when he calls, God hears. But but it's amazing. It's amazing to pay attention to what happens when Jonah prays. And it's not just that he gets out of the belly of the fish. He does. He does. Deliverance comes. But, But notice that's not the most beautiful part of what happens. And what happens when Jonah prays is what will happen when you pray. And it's what's not happening when you're not praying. And this is simply this. Notice how he prays. As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord. Prayer will cause you to remember. I remembered the Lord. My earnest prayer, my earnest prayer, an earnest prayer. It's not just the the, the prayer that flies up, you know, when you're hanging by the seat of your pants. This is an earnest prayer. It goes out. I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise. Songs of praise in the belly of a whale after three days, you better believe it. Just like the songs of praise that went up in the belly of the prison with Paul and Silas, you understand? God will take that worry. God will take that anxiety. God will take that hopelessness and turn that into a song of praise. That doesn't happen if you don't pray. It happens to Jonah in the belly of a fish. I will offer sacrifices with songs of praise, and I will fulfill all my vows. It takes all this, but finally Jonah says, I'll keep my promises to you, God. I'll do whatever you're asking me to do. I will fulfill all my vows, and then the whale throws up. You see that? You know, Jonah could have missed a whole lot of mess if he'd have started there. If he just started with obedience, he could have missed a a whole lot of mess. The point is, deliverance comes when Jonah's ready to obey, and deliverance for you will come when you're ready to obey. This downward spiral of your life, the way you feel like you take all the best things in life and put them in a pocket with holes in it, it just runs out. You never have enough. Nothing seems to work for you. Nothing seems to change the downward spiral. I'm telling you, when you're ready to follow God, you will find that deliverance will come, and that downward spiral of your life will reverse. It can happen sooner rather than later. It could have happened a whole lot sooner for Jonah. It's sad that it took this much for him. Worst prophet ever. Y'all heard me talk about, man, how I hate those boxes of chocolates. Don't get them for me. I hate them because they all look alike. You don't ever know what's in them. And some of them are good. Some of those Whitman samplers, man, they're, they're good. Which ones are good? Well, the peanut ones are pretty good, but you never know. You never know. I really want to bite into it and have it be brown inside. That's just me personally. I don't want to bite into any of them and find pink or white. (laughs) I don't want pink or white because the only thing white I can think of that looks like that is 
Preparation H. <laughs> I'm not biting into anything and have preparation H oozing out, but you don't know. You, you, you don't know. You don't know what's in them, so what do you have to do? You have to squeeze them. Yeah. You have to pick up the candy and squeeze it. It's the only way to know what's inside. You have to squeeze it. You understand? Now, when Jonah says, I'm going to sacrifice songs of praise, I'm going to fulfill all my vows. Honestly, I didn't know that was in that guy. I had no idea that was in him until he got squeezed, you understand? Until he got squeezed. And some of you, honestly, it's apparent that what God has put in you is not going to come out any other way. You're just going to have to be squeezed, aren't you? I mean, what's it going to take? Are, are you going to run until you find yourself in the belly of a well for three days, three nights? I mean, then would you pray? Because if that's what it takes, then honestly, it would be God's mercy because it still saves Jonah's life. When he prays, it's not just that he gets delivered from the whale. Something amazing happens. There's an alignment Jonah's heart becomes aligned with God's heart. Jonah's will becomes aligned with God's will. There is this beautiful alignment, and that's what happens when you pray. I remember one period in my life when I was very, very convinced that, 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 that something needed to happen. And actually, it was about this church. I was very convinced that there was this man that was supposed to be the youth and music director for Woodburn. It was years ago years ago. He walked in the church and I said, that's the one. He's the guy. He's going to be our youth and music director. And this was when I was still a college student. So understand, I, I wasn't on staff. He came in and I thought, he, he's the guy. He's got to be our youth and music director. And so I, I knew this so desperately that I started praying and then I started fasting. I really wanted God to know how seriously that, you know, in case God hadn't noticed him yet, I was going to starve myself until God would see. It was fasting and prayer, and it was serious, fasting and prayer. I just wanted to pray that God would, would let this guy be our youth and music minister. I fasted three days at that particular time, and it was very serious prayer. But an amazing thing happened over three days, and I didn't notice it at first. I didn't realize how my prayers changed. At first, on Monday, in my hunger and in my prayers, I was saying, God, you've got to bring this guy to our church. Make him our music and youth minister. He is the one, God. You must see that. I see that. Let the church see it. Let the whole world see it. Make him our guy. And then by the end of Wednesday— I was simply praying, God, would you bless that man, and would you lead him into your perfect will for his life, and would you bless our church, and would you lead our church into your perfect will for our church? And, and it was funny how in, in the course of praying, I became less focused on what I wanted and needed, and much more just surrendered to whatever God would do. Praying does that. Y'all know how that turned out, don't you? Yeah. That guy never became youth and music minister of our church, but I did. Didn't see that coming either. Wasn't praying about that at all. <laughs> but something happens when we pray. We, we become aligned with God, our will, our heart, our, our future. And, and that's what happens to Jonah. It, it's what needs to happen with you. 
But because here's the thing, the story of Jonah is not a, a fish story. The great part of this story is not that a man is swallowed whole by a fish. And the real question behind the book of Jonah is not, is that possible? Is it possible for a man to be swallowed alive by a fish? That's really not the great question of the book of Jonah. The great question of Jonah's story is not, could a man be swallowed whole by a fish? That's not it. The question is, are you, are you, your life, have you been swallowed whole by God? That's the question. Have you been swallowed whole by God? Do you know God? Do you love God? Do you want anything to do with him? Because it starts there. It starts with just wanting him and wanting Jesus. And if you don't have that desire, there's something profoundly lost and broken about your life. You have to want him. And you have to learn to want something to do with his word. At some point, you have to begin to come to God's word because it is bread for your soul. It is like oxygen for a drowning man. You have to want his word and begin to not just read it, but surrender to it. When God's word speaks to you, you take that as commandment. You take it as marching orders. You begin to do whatever it is he asks of you. You can't just read it and not be a doer of it. If you're not doing it, you're running, basically. You may just be running to church and staying busy in church and blending into the church crowd and imagining that, that you'll distract God. He'll forget your, your life of disobedience if you just keep the rest of the rules. You may not be doing the one thing he's asked you to do, but you'll do everything else and see if you can just can't throw him off your track by getting very, very involved in church. You understand you can be in church and still running from him. So I guess the invitation today is to uh, stop letting your life take you down and go ahead and look up. Don't wait till you go all the way to the bottom, Jonah. You could look up now. You could surrender now. So when you say, Brother Tim, I don't ever hear God's voice. I don't know what you're talking about. I, I've never heard God speak to me. Well, I understand that you really believe when you say that, but my hunch is you always hear God's voice when your spirit is obedient. So, so my hunch is if you're wondering right now, well, I don't think God's talking. I don't think God's asked me to do anything. Just let me ask you this. What's the last thing you think he might have said to you? What's the last thing he asked you to do? Because my hunch is if you're not hearing God's voice right now, it's because you've not obeyed the last thing he said to you. Whatever it is, the last thing he asked you to do, the last direction he gave, did you do that? Because nothing's going to move on in your life until you go back to that place of hearing his word and you pick up that path of obedience. God is not obliged to talk to people who aren't listening and obeying. When you're ready to obey, you will hear his voice. He will command you. He will guide you. But you must not run from him. I'm asking you to stop running. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, like Jonah, we run. Like Jonah, we 
get confused because we are so religious and we are so good in so many ways. It masks the depths of disobedience within our hearts. We deceive ourselves, Lord God, because we show up at church and we carry Bibles and we lead our families to pray over meals and therefore we imagine that there must be nothing else you want from us. God, help us today to listen for your voice and to be bold enough to ask whatever it is that you want from us and then bold enough to obey. Wherever it is that you would send us, whatever it is, Lord, that you're asking us to leave, to quit, to abandon, Lord, I pray that your word would come to us today, that we would listen and that we would obey. Lord, for those in the sound of my voice who are running from you today, I pray that you would stop them in their tracks before they destroy their own life. Running from you exacts a high price from the one who runs and often makes a lot of other people suffer too. Lord, I pray that those running from you today will turn around and come back to you. May we offer sacrifices of songs of praise. May we keep all of our promises to you, Lord God, who keeps all of your promises to us. Lord, there are those in this house today who are sinking deep into the ocean waves, Lord, going under and not know if salvation is even possible. Lord, I pray that they would call out to you today. Deliverance, salvation will come in the moment when they turn to you. Lord Jesus Christ, make us turn to you. Pray these things in your precious name. Amen.